when you're able to capture the attention of the people above you in your company, that's when you're able to start climbing a ladder that you might not have felt like was available to you before. Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that empowers professional women to rise. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik, and in this show, I take you undercover into the stories and lessons that I learned, sometimes the hard way, throughout my career. I also talk with working women, leaders, and coaches to show you that no matter what your struggle is and no matter what your career goals are, you already have all the talent that you need to succeed. Have you ever been in a meeting where people were talking about things and sharing ideas and you had an idea pop into your head and between the moment that you get the idea and you say it out loud, something stops you and you start having this inner monologue of what if my idea doesn't make sense? What if my idea is stupid? What if everybody in this meeting knows something that I don't know or has a skill or a capability that I don't have? And what if when I share this idea, it reveals that to everyone around me? Let me make sure that my idea is really, really good. I'm not so sure that I'm ready to say this out loud. If that feels familiar, (laughs) welcome to life as a young and sometimes not young professional woman. This is something that so many of us, myself included, struggle with. It was actually my inspiration for the show and the name of the show because I wanted to start talking about the things that are happening inside our heads so that you know that when this happens to you, It doesn't mean anything about you or your abilities. It's just a thing that we all deal with. And so that more importantly, you know that your ideas, just as they are, they don't have to sound fancy. The mere fact that you have an idea makes it worth sharing. And your default should always be to share. And I know what it's like to get trapped in the default state of not sharing. And to this day, it is still a practice for me to remind myself that what I think is important and what I think matters. And I don't ask myself or I try not to ask myself this question of, is this smart enough? Because first of all, it is. But second of all, who cares? It doesn't matter. We're all in our jobs and in these meetings and in these rooms to contribute There shouldn't be an evaluation or a filter on our ideas. They're all worth sharing. And that's why I was so excited to talk with Rose. Rose and I both started our careers at the same management consulting firm, and we both struggled in that environment feeling comfortable and confident sharing our ideas because we were surrounded by a ton of smart people, and it took us a while to see that we were part of the smart people, that we were smart too, and we saw ourselves as different. And so we didn't always contribute. 
And Rose right now coaches women on mindset. And because she's been in that environment and because of the work that she does now on mindset, she has such a good understanding and such a valuable perspective on this topic. And the one thing that I hope that this episode convinces you is that when you're thinking about this decision of should I say it, should I not say it, I really hope that you're motivated to say it by the mere understanding of what it will do cumulatively for your career over time if you give yourself that little push to share things rather than keep them inside. You are going to be the primary beneficiary of learning how to do this. So it's worth it. It's for you. And that's the thing that I want you to take away. We talk about that. We talk about imposter syndrome and fear of judgment and deflecting compliments and all kinds of things that are so common and things that might help you. I'm so excited for you to hear this interview and I'll catch you on the other side. Awesome. Amazing. Let's get stuck in. Ah! (laughs) All right, let's go. So I wanted to start by asking you about your career journey, how it started, how you got to where you are today, and then some of the big learnings that you had. Sure, absolutely. So my first job was actually as a gymnastics coach. And I was about 15 years old at the time. And all my friends were doing jobs like uh, waiting tables or stacking shelves. And the slight rebelliousness in me decided, I want to do a different job. So I ended up as a gymnastics coach, which I totally loved. I thought it was brilliant. And maybe our listeners have felt the same when they were younger and they were kids or teenagers, where you just feel like you don't want to grow up and be ordinary. You want to do something different, but you have no idea what on earth that's going to be. So (laughs) me, age 15, 16, decided that being a gymnastics coach was as close as I could get to being not ordinary at that point. (laughs) That was my first job. But while I was at university, I did a number of different internships. I was in a law firm, I worked in a central government. And then when I graduated, I joined a strategy consulting company called McKinsey, which was awesome. It was a really good experience. However, I had lots of struggles along the way. And there was one particular really big, hairy struggle. And that was that I ultimately didn't find the work meaningful. And everybody has a different point of view over what meaningful is to them. It's just that my definition of meaningful wasn't the work I was doing. And if I look back, I I really did follow the traditional path the conveyor belt to success, let's call it, and happiness, which involved the good grades, the great university, the great job, buying a house even, (laughs) and kind of completely on that conveyor belt, right? And only to find that actually, I was kind of disappointed when I got there. Mm, It's such an easy trap to fall into. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And it's painful when you fall into it. (laughs) Yeah, and you can get very stuck in it. I'm curious how you got to what you do today, which is very different. Yes, it is. So I am a leadership coach and business mentor to millennials on a mission. That's the tagline. (laughs) What that means in reality is that I typically work with high achieving women in their 20s and their 30s who want to do work that matters, who want to make a meaningful impact on the world, but also want to earn good money doing it. And I help them figure out what it is that they should be doing. What is that thing that they find meaningful? What is that purposeful mission that they want to pursue? I help them monetize that so they can go and do the work 
that they care about and make money at it at the same time. So you work with high performing women, women who are like really ambitious and who have really big goals. And one thing that you told me, which was really interesting to me and also really surprising is that the more high achieving the women are, the more that they tend to judge themselves and run into self-criticism and fear of judgment and all of these mental struggles. I would love to hear you talk more about that and how it shows up and just get your point of view on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So they've actually shown now that imposter syndrome is more prevalent in high-performing people, exactly as you said. And imposter syndrome is a really big bucket of fear. And that often comes up in the simple statement of, well, I'm not good enough to do that. Or I'm faking this and everybody's going to find out that I'm not actually meant to be in this job. Or I got here because somebody liked my personality rather than actually because I'm qualified for it. All of those things are actually imposter syndrome. And I don't really like the word syndrome because it sounds very scary. It's more of an imposter complex, I guess. Um, but yeah, how that turns up, there, as I said, many ways that, that turns up. And just to kind of back up a little bit and kind of go to the big picture for a moment about fear, imposter syndrome, all that mindset stuff that comes up for high-performing women. While I was in my old job and before training as a coach, I used to think that mindset was the word and the concept of it was really airy-fairy. And the sort of thing that people talked about that um, sort of thing that yoga people or people that drink green juices would talk about. <laughs> and it wasn't really me. And I felt like it wasn't really me because it didn't seem practical or actionable. And mindset just didn't feel like my jam. And actually mindset isn't like that at all. And what happened in the end was that I ended up burning out while I was at McKinsey. And that really forced me to look at what I was doing and how I was thinking about it. And that's when the mindset stuff really got important for me at that point. Because mindset is simply how we think. It's not tangible. So it's difficult to see where your thinking is actually faulty or sab sab sabotaging you. Yet the way we think directly affects the outcomes we get in our life. So the results of the way we think are just really obvious in front of us. Yet the way we think and our mindset isn't really something that we can see. So my clients are the high achieving types, as, as I said, and they're often already pretty self-aware, but they don't, they haven't typically done the mindset work before they come to me. And there is a really big shift in the self-awareness and perspective when that happens, a, a kind of a shift in, in how they view themselves. And that shift is really powerful. And when I felt that shift, I realized that one of the things that contributed to me burning out was actually the fear of judgment. And that, again, is very linked to imposter syndrome. And that fear of judgment was huge for me. It was one of the contributing factors for burnout. Obviously, it wasn't the only one. But that fear of judgment stopped me speaking up in anything from meetings to speaking up about how I was feeling at the time, because I was scared of feeling like, I was wrong or what I was about to say was going to be useless or immature because I was scared somebody was going to judge me for it ultimately. And I also assumed that everyone else around me was better than me. So whatever they were saying was probably going to be better than me. Again, imposter syndrome screaming at me, but I didn't know, I wasn't aware of it. And I think there are so many women out there that aren't aware that the stories that they're telling themselves about the thing that they might say in a meeting is useless or not. They're not aware that that story isn't true. 
It's simply a fear but because it's in our mind. We think it is true. For me, it became so autopilot that I didn't even realize that the thought was there. And then when I did realize it was still hard to do. And then when I finally started doing it, I was like, wow, <laughs> I've been keeping real quiet for really long. <laughs> Absolutely. One of the other ways I coped with it was to act like somebody else. Mm. And I don't know if you felt this as well. Oh my gosh, yes. It's far easier to be a different person than to be yourself because then if you are judged, you can then think, well, I was kind of just pretending to be this instead and it wasn't really me. And it kind of protects you, puts a shield up if you're pretending to be somebody else. Yeah, I actually felt like as a young woman, I was being pushed to a communication style that was I didn't realize. I just thought I was bad at adopting the communication style, but actually it was really just completely unnatural to me. So I was told like, this is how you get heard and this is how you speak and this is how you communicate and take up space and all these things. And I really struggled with it. And I thought I was struggling with it because I was bad at it. And then I realized I was struggling with it because the ways that I was being taught to communicate aren't the ways that I'm built to communicate. And I'm not going to be my strongest communicating those ways. So there's there were for me a lot of things to untangle with that and a lot of complexity there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to be communicating in that way that isn't true for you is not sustainable at all. No. Drives no, you nuts. Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. It takes up it takes up your mental capacity because you're focusing energy that could be focused on the thing that you're actually working on, on sounding and appearing a certain way. And when you actually figure out what your communication style is, all of a sudden you've freed up your mind to engage at a much higher, deeper level. Because like you said, you don't have all of those things running through your mind. Absolutely. Yeah, it totally pills it all back. And you're able then to shine. You're, you're able to shine because you're being so true and so you, and you were able to unleash your own voice, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it takes time to get there. Like I'd be curious what you've seen with transformations with your clients but for me it wasn't it wasn't just like crossing a threshold and then all of a sudden i was able to be myself there were all of these incremental steps and brave actions that added up over time absolutely yeah it's definitely an evolution to get to that point and i'm constantly exploring it now there's there's no end point there's no finish point with knowing what your true voice is and being brave enough or courageous enough to use it. Because that's the other thing. People often use confidence as a prerequisite for action and for speaking up. And actually, if we remove the need to rely on confidence and simply rely on courage, we're able to do a lot more and a lot faster with more impact. And it's also a flawed way of thinking because confidence is built on knowledge of your ability or evidence of your ability. So if you haven't gone and spoken up in that environment before and said that thing before in front of those people, you're never going to feel confident enough to do it because you haven't done it before. So that's the point at which I encourage my clients to draw on their courage <laughs> instead of that confidence, because it's going to be far more powerful in facilitating their ability to speak up. Mm -hmm. Courage is for me, much more often in my control than confidence is. So mm -hmm. if you feel, if someone's feeling like, oh, I want to be more confident, which I think almost every woman relates to that sentiment, sometimes it doesn't feel super straightforward or attainable, but doing something brave and just giving yourself a little bit of a push, that's something you can do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And the more you do it, the more it expands that comfort zone. And 
it makes it easier again and again the second time and that comfort zone just that that circle of of zone just gets bigger and bigger and that's the awesome thing and that's why it does take time as you said to evolve that ability to speak up and evolve your voice and um, evolve the confidence that comes with it yeah and I really relate to this thought of well I'm not going to do it until I know how and I'm not going to do it until I'm ready which is a catch-22 because you're going to get ready by just doing it before you're ready but for me, that was a distinct phase where it started with I was just very afraid to contribute and afraid to speak up. And then it looked more like, OK, I will, but I'm going to make sure that what I have to say sounds really, 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 really smart. So everyone knows that I'm really smart. And so no one oh can see gosh. anything else. Right. Yeah. And and that's OK. Yeah. That that helped me. And I leaned on that. Yeah. And I realized, though, that the less I care about that, the better work I do. And mm. maybe I said something that didn't sound perfectly crafted, but who cares? That's not yeah. that's not always what's needed to get to the end result. <laughs> Absolutely. I again I used to wait until I had something really profound yeah. to say before I spoke up. <laughs> and often by the time I've thought of it, the moment's passed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so it's too late. You're off yeah. in your corner spinning and constructing this thing and getting ready and then waiting for your moment and waiting for the gap in time. And all of a sudden yeah. the meeting's over. <laughs> Absolutely. That's so true. And then I remember, I distinctly remember in a meeting saying something that I thought, oh, that was quite good. And then getting feedback from, from somebody who said, oh, that's a really good idea. And guess what I thought next? And this really showed the imposter syndrome. Oh, she's just being nice. She's just in trying to encourage me and being nice. That's why she said that nice thing about what I said. And when I realized that afterwards, I was like, wow, I have got to stop thinking to myself in that way, like talking to myself in that way. That is just not constructive. So yeah, comes up all the time. It's almost like waiting for the punchline. You hear something positive and you're waiting for the thing that's really underneath it. Exactly. It's a punchline. <laughs> What is it like when you're working with someone and you see them start to move past the sphere of judgment? What can that look like for different women? I'm very curious. Wow. Yeah, it can be very varied. So it might be down to simply being more vocal on social media, for instance, just saying, like, hey, this is what I stand for. This is what I believe in. And just sharing that more and more within their social network because obviously social networking is such a big thing at the moment um on instagram and it can also in a more um work sense mean that they get noticed in a really positive way that mm. they may have not got noticed before and when you're um able to capture the attention of the people above you in in your um company that's when you're able to start climbing a ladder that you might not have felt like was available to you before. So there are a lot of upshots to finding that voice and just having the confidence to say something. There are not enough mentors out there where there are people high up in a company helping lifting the women up at the bottom and pulling them through. There just aren't enough relationships there for many reasons. So the more you can show that you are capable and willing to contribute, the more likely you are to be able to build a mentoring relationship like that within your company that will propel you forwards. 
So if that's what you're interested in, then finding your voice in that environment is really, really important. And there's one thing that it is, it really is about giving yourself permission to contribute rather than being perfect. And if you can give yourself that permission, it just propels you forwards. And it makes your job so much more fun too, because the, you have a new way of engaging. Oh yes, for sure. It really does. And you'll get feedback that it's positive, hopefully, although you have to believe that the positive, positive feedback is actually true and don't let the imposter complex tell you it's not. <laughs> and internalize that positive feedback when it comes to you rather than repelling it away. Well, it's, it's really cool that you said that there's a moment where someone sees the ladder and it kind of clicks with them. like oh, I can climb that ladder. Like, I can. And it's just a moment of believing. Yes, that it's open to you, that it can be yours if you want it. And they don't have, there doesn't have to be that many barriers in front of you, for sure. I love that. And I think that that's so important. And that's the feeling that I want more women to have. And, and I would be curious to hear what you think about this. But I think part of enabling more women to feel that way and to see the ladder and say like, oh, that is for me. I'm not excluded from that is to see other women climbing the ladder and other women successful and doing well, but who aren't perfect and who went through struggles just like they did. So they don't look at whatever they're dealing with that's hard and say, well, she got there, but I can't because of X, Y, Z. Absolutely. I think that's so important. And I felt like in some ways, when I looked to the women above me in my old job, they were not like me and I didn't identify with them um, for many different reasons. So, yeah, I think that's so true. You need to be able to see some, something similar in the people above you to feel like, yeah, I can be like that, too. And I do want to be there. Yeah, I think that's really important. And there's a pressure on women to be perfect. Right. And it's kind of there's kind of a little bit of a destructive dynamic because on the one hand, you need to present yourself as someone who's done all the things correctly and you need to advocate for yourself and look good so that you can advance. But on the other hand, without having any kind of real conversation or you know any honesty around some of the things that are hard, I think, I know for me, I felt very alienated. Mm-hmm. I felt like, well, that's great that she did that, but like I'm still a spaz and I'm still <laughs> like figuring all of these things out and messing things up and <laughs> some days being weird and stupid. So can can someone like tell me that that's okay? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Oh, I love that. That is just so true. It's so true. Because it's bringing your personality to work, right? If you are going to act a bit silly, you'll yeah. be a bit of a spaz, as you said, which I love. It's so funny. It is just bringing your personality. And actually, people connect with that individualism. Yes. They connect with the kind of the spaziness because they probably see themselves in that, let's be honest. And by doing that, you give other people permission to do that too. And it makes the environment so much more fun. Since leaving McKinsey, I, whenever I've ended up in any environment since that that's been corporate related I've always gone into it thinking I'm gonna make sure this is fun (laughs) I don't care if everybody else in the room is going to be really boring I'm gonna make sure they enjoy this too and I'm gonna make sure it's fun (laughs) so yeah bring your whole personality to work because hey like we are a whole self and be a spaz if you want to (laughs) be I agree and the more people get to know you the more people start to love you and connect with you and they want to help you and they want to support you but I think that it can be really hard when you're younger 
because there's no good role model or rule book rule book for how you're supposed to act in some of these environments, especially in an environment like McKinsey. Like if you would have told me, oh, just be yourself, I would have been like, hell no. <laughs> yeah. Like, I are you kidding me? I'm like wearing this suit and I'm like using a bag that I think is ugly because that's the bag that I have to use. And like, I can't be myself. And so, you know, it can be hard. And I think sometimes it's about needing a new environment. But then I think sometimes it could be also for other people who are maybe in a more traditional vertical of finding your authenticity within mm -hmm. that environment and maybe trying to create some space for new ways of being so that other women can then also the women that follow behind you can be a little bit more themselves. I love that. I love that word authenticity. It's so important because that is also what people connect with. When people realize you're actually just being authentic and just being you, they love it. There is not enough authenticity at all out there. So I totally agree with that. It's so important. But like you said, I think you a little bit have to tackle some of that fear of judgment first, right? Because that's, that's I think, the thing that makes you want to hide it under wraps absolutely and i quite like to use just going back to the fear of judgment that fear will always be there it's a primal instinct mm -hmm. it's not going to magically mm -hmm. disappear anytime soon but i like to use um this concept when it, when you're thinking about fear and uh, uh, you're let's let's imagine you're about to say something in a meeting or you're about to just be you with something silly um act a funny way and you're scared of doing it now is that fear the same as jumping from a high height into a sea full of sharks? Or is it the same as jumping off a high height into a big swimming pool? One, you know, the first one, you know, is going to result in a certain death. The second one, <laughs> you know, is kind of scary, but fun once you've done it. And the chances are doing that silly thing or speaking up in that meeting, or whatever it is that you're scared of doing that's actually going to be very authentic for you to do is going to be the second option. And when you realize that, it makes it so much easier to just do it. The thing is, you can't think your way through fear to make it disappear. In fact, thinking about it often makes it worse. So don't spend too much thinking about this example. But you can overcome fear by acting on it, as we said. That It just expands your comfort zone. Yeah. I think the swimming pool analogy is really good, too, because you are going to feel afraid and it's going to feel the same as if there are sharks there and it's going to feel like that every time. And there is going to be a moment where your mind's going to be talking you out of it. And there is going to be a moment where you're just going to have to like that's not going to stop, but you're just going to have to say, I'm 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 doing it anyway. Absolutely. Do yeah. It. And like I said, give yourself permission to contribute and experiment as well. Like test it out see, see what reaction you do get and what's the worst that can happen probably not certain death <laughs> <laughs> even though it can it can definitely feel that way I can vouch for that but the cool thing is then the thing that you're scared of you're no longer scared of the thing that used to be scary and now you're scared of something bigger which is amazing because that bigger thing was not open to you before when you were scared of the smaller thing because you were just focused on the smaller thing and so you have it's like what you said about the ladder you're like oh I can go up now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It just gets closer and closer for sure. Another thing that I wanted to ask you about is the role of identity and kind of how identity relates to our insecurities and to how we're able to perform. Yeah, for sure. So I've often found both working on myself and with my clients that we often believe what other people tell us about ourselves. We believe it to be true. And often it's not true. 
which means that we essentially allow ourselves to be defined by other people. And that becomes our identity. And I previously had a client who considered herself not to be resilient for various reasons, probably because she'd been told that she wasn't resilient at some point in her life that was before that she really remembered. But she'd learned this idea that she as a person is not resilient. That's not in her identity. And we decided to do a bit of a switch and to simply allow herself to identify as being resilient. Because that opened up the possibility then that she might be resilient. And it also allows you to think of, well, what would a resilient person do in this situation? Something's just gone horribly wrong. What would a resilient person do in this situation? And you can start doing that and start becoming resilient. But your identity doesn't change unless you choose to change it. And the awesome thing is you can change your identity at any given moment by simply deciding to identify as resilient or successful or whatever it is that you want to change about your identity that's actually stopping you from doing the thing you want to do. It's kind of a way of staying safe to not try to change it, you know, because it keeps you in a very familiar territory. But I think it can also keep you limited and stuck. But it's cool to know that it it is something that is really created by you. Mm, Absolutely. It's available to you immediately if you choose to take it. And yes, you're right. It is a little bit scary, the idea of becoming resilient, as an example, because that might mean you have to go and do stuff that is scary all of a sudden. But you don't have to go and jump off led into the sharks you can build it as you said earlier you can start building that thing and and do the thing that's a little bit outside your comfort zone so then the bigger stuff becomes more and more available to you yeah that's so interesting because one piece of advice that I've given before to you know people who are trying to become more confident is in a work setting is find something that you're not good at outside of work and see if you can show yourself that maybe you're better better at it than you think and experiencing that shift and seeing that a definition that you had around yourself was incorrect can really open your mind to that. And I think sometimes if you take it out of the setting of work, it takes some of that charge away, right? Because it's just like, oh, okay, I thought I couldn't like, you know, go do this thing maybe in the gym or something. It was too hard for me. And then I did it. And all of a sudden you you start to see that the limits that you've created aren't actually real. Yeah. They're self-imposed limits. Absolutely. That's such a such an important thing, I think, because it's really easy to get stuck in the narrative of, well, I'm not good at that. And just to, to never question like, A, whether that's true and B, even if it is true and you're not good at something, you can become good at something. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Everything is learnable. That is one thing I have learned from mm-hmm. <laughs> moving to entrepreneurship. Everything is learnable <laughs> or at least yeah. figure outable. So yeah, that's super important. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be good at everything, you know, and not it might not always be your strength. But the uh, the cool thing I, I would you might see this, too, is that your strength can always help you with whatever the thing is usually in some yeah, way. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. I love that. Perfect. So I'm going to move to the listener question. Sure, if you're ready. Yeah, let's do it. And I'll read it to you and then I'll just open it up and give you the floor to chat with the listener. So the question is. I'm both the youngest and newest person on my team. Everyone around me has either been at the company a long time or has many years of experience. I'm not only frustrated that things take me so long to figure out and get done, but I feel like I'm always asking questions, I'm always asking for help, and never adding value. How do I flatten the learning curve and show people around me that I am adding value? 
Sincerely, the new girl. <laughs> I love this. And mainly because I really resonate with this problem and this challenge. And it's so common. So I would encourage her first to not feel, feel like that she's the only one at all. And in terms of flattening that learning curve the fastest way possible, I'd encourage her to keep asking those questions because that really is the quickest way you're going to flatten that learning curve. But be resourceful with figuring out stuff on your own first, which I'm sure you're doing. But ultimately, your team will have been the newbie at some point as well, and they'll understand. So cut yourself some slack. Try not to judge yourself so much for asking and think about it from their point of view. They would much rather you ask that question and get it right than be going off track, doing the wrong thing and wasting your time. A really tactical tip that I used to use a lot was save up your questions. And once you've hit three questions, go and find somebody. <laughs> because then you know you're using their time wisely. And it also removes that repetition of going up every hour, every two hours to go and ask somebody another question. Because you can go to the person, your boss, whoever it is that you need to go ask and say, hey, I have three questions for you. And then you will know that you're using their time really wisely. And it will, yeah, like I said, stops that repetition of going up and down the whole time. But yeah, in, in summary, I would just cut yourself some slack with this. Keep doing what you're doing. You will definitely get there. Keep the faith. We have all been there so many times. <laughs> oh, yes, we have all. And I think no matter how experienced you get in your life or your career, there are continually situations where you feel new at yeah, whatever it is. For sure. Yeah. And it's a great challenge when that happens, but also can be quite stressful. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for helping out the new girl. I'm going to go into the closing questions that I ask all of my guests. So the first one is, I would love to hear your thoughts on the importance and the challenges around speaking up since the title of this show is The Art of Speaking Up. Oh, wow. So what should I add that we haven't already spoken about? Um, I think ultimately speaking up is just so important for evolving and developing your own voice. And you're not going to do this by thinking about it. You can only do this by strengthening that muscle to speak up in whatever context that comes up for you. It takes practice, but ultimately you're on this planet to make an impact. So find your voice and use it. Hmm. I love that. Thank you so much, Rose. And for the last question, some context is that I created this show because I had a rough time in my 20s trying to figure out a lot of things. and. I wanted to use the show to be able to speak to women, whether they're going through what I went through or they're just trying to grow and build their confidence and accelerate in their careers. So I want to give you the floor to share whatever encouragement or messages that you would want to share with young women. Awesome. I'm going to keep this short and sweet. I'm going to repeat that you are on this planet to make an impact and you are so much more powerful than you think you are. And so use your voice and go and make big stuff happen. I love that. Thank you so much, Rose. <laughs> You're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. And that was my conversation with Rose. I had so much fun talking with her and I think we so strongly connected to each other's experiences and the struggles that both of us had learning to talk and trust our ideas 
And I hope that you connected to it too. And I hope that you took something away from it and that it made you feel a little bit more empowered the next time that you're sitting in a meeting and questioning whether you should say what you're thinking. You should say it. You should always say it. I'm really glad to have you listening. I'm always so appreciative of that. My show is new, so if you like the show and if it makes you feel good, it would be really cool if you could share it with someone or tell a friend about it or write a review for the show or reach out to me and let me know what you think. It's always really good to have the chance to reach you. So I hope the rest of your day goes well and I'll catch you in the next one. If you want to advance in your career, you have to be able to speak up with confidence and advocate for what it is you need. There's a word for this skill. It's called assertiveness, and many women find it very difficult to do. Luckily, it is totally possible to build confidence in your voice, and I wrote an ebook specifically to help you do that. It's called The Smart, Ambitious Woman's Guide to Assertiveness in the Workplace, and it will guide you through a series of simple steps that will help you speak up and be more assertive in a way that feels authentic to who you really are. To get your free copy, go to www.assertivenessebook.com or go to the free resources section at the bottom of the show notes where you will find the link. Remember, your voice is your key to success at work and you are empowered to decide how you want to use it.